Amen. Yes, you may be seated. Mm. Good stuff, Sam. Uh, man, we're blessed to have uh, Sam DeFord leading us here, our dear brother. Let's give it up for <laughs> Sam. I've known Sam for a long time. We used to have desks right across the room from each other when we got to office together with the Parks Church staff many years ago. Um, so it's such a blessing to have him here leading us today. The reason that you're seeing Sam today is that Matt Nix, our worship pastor, started his sabbatical this week. He left on Thursday morning, and he'll be back July 24th uh, with us. And so a sabbatical, for those of you that don't know, is just an extended time away, a benefit given by this church uh, to pastoral staffs uh, after at least seven years of full-time service to go and be refreshed, renewed, re-energized in their own relationship with the Lord. Um, ministry is not a job that you get to clock in and clock out each day. It's a 24-7 responsibility of caring, of shepherding, and of serving the flock. And so our elders, along with you collectively as partners of this church, have agreed uh, to allow our pastors to have this time away. And so he will be gone from this place, uh, but he will be being spiritually refreshed. He'll have sweet time with his wife and his kids and time away with just the Lord and solitude and to just renew his own energy, his own faith in the Lord, his own rest in the Lord so that he can come back a stronger pastor than he ever was before. So what I would ask you to do, church, is from now until July 23rd, please pray for him. Pray that he would have those awesome times of refreshment, those sweet times with the Lord, and it would be very memorable, but also would be very refreshing and energizing for him uh, to come back later this summer. So all that to say, we're grateful to have Sam here leading in his place this morning. I also want to thank you, church family, for being flexible. You're probably like, what? I didn't know I was flexible. I'm here at 11. What's the big deal? But we have uh, adjusted our service times for the summer and gotten rid of our 8 a.m. and uh, allowed everybody to sleep in a little bit more over the summer. And we're going to have 9.30 and 11. And so I thank you for being flexible as we have this summer schedule. We will go back to our three-service schedule on August 20th. And I am prayerfully asking you to consider. I realize this is a big change for those of you that come to 11. But... We would love to have you prayerfully consider you and your family coming to the 8 a.m. when we start back on August 20th. On August 20th, we'll be back to 8, 9, 30, and 11, and um, we need to make room. This community is growing. This body of faith is growing, and God is bringing us more and more families each and every week, and we need to make room for them. And so if you have the ability to um, put that on your calendar, save the date, pray for it as a, a family over the summer, but come and join us on August 20th as we get back to that three-service schedule. But until then, we'll be at 9, 30, and 11 the rest of the summer. Last Sunday, we got to off, uh, bless our senior class of 2023 and uh, launch them from here, bless them as they leave, and make much of Jesus throughout our world or in whatever arena that they may find themselves in after they've now graduated. And Caleb Mucklow, our student minister, exegeted Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 for us, which was a great charge for our seniors, but also was a great charge to us as a church family. And so if you weren't here last week, or maybe you missed last week's message, I really encourage you, I exhort you, go back to our website, wherever you find a podcast, listen to that message. I know you will be encouraged. I know it will be well for your soul, and it will be well worth your time. So I hope you'll go back and, and check that out. Um, now, all that to say, all this stuff taken care of. This morning, we're going to pick up in our series in Acts 
Uh, Acts chapter 4. We've been walking through this book for the last couple of months. We're going to walk through this book for many more months. Uh, But today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles and you'll turn there with me, we'll be in Acts chapter 4. In verses 32 through 37 here in just a moment. And so the message today is going to focus on two major themes that we see in this small passage that Luke writes to us. And those themes that we're going to look at today are gospel unity and radical generosity. Gospel unity and radical generosity. And I know some of you are thinking right now, oh boy, did he just say generosity? We came on the Sunday he's preaching on giving. Out of all the Sundays we could have missed, we came on the Sunday he's going to preach on giving. I should have known when I saw the executive pastor up there that we're going to talk about stewardship. But the joke is on you, friends. It's the Lord's timing. You can take it up with him. We make it a habit to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible here at City Church. And so um, just happened to be two weeks ago, Kent ended in verse 31 of chapter 4. And so here we are. Ryan's out of town doing a wedding today. So that's just the way it is. Here it is. You're with me. We're all together here. And uh, I say all that today. Just don't get nervous. Don't have anxiety about this. But just prayerfully consider. Um, be encouraged by the word this morning. And I'm confident. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit and the word will do the work. And they're going to open up to us. If you're collectively open, he will open to us what the word has to say to us and challenge us this morning. And it'll be a good challenge and a healthy challenge. So stick with me for just the next 20 minutes. It'll be good. And we're going to look at chapter four. And so now if, if you are able, please stand with me as we read from God's word starting in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Amen. You can be seated. So looking at these two things, gospel unity and radical generosity, we're going to start at gospel unity, the idea that the gospel unites us. If you're taking notes, the gospel unites us in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The gospel unites us. The early church, which we've been studying throughout the book of Acts and will continue to, um, in chapter 2, we saw at Pentecost, there were 3,000 believers added that day. And those people were folks from all different tribes, all different languages, nations, tongues, cultures. And the beauty of what the Holy Spirit did that day is that the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles and each person there got to hear the gospel spoken to them in their own native language. And 3,000 souls were saved that day. And then earlier in chapter 4, we visited just a few weeks ago, we saw that Luke wrote there were 5,000 men that believed and were added to this number of this church. And I can think, we can assume, for the most part, that most of these men were probably married. And so the number of believers that day could have been upwards of close to 10,000 that day, which is amazing. And 
The question is, with a body of believers that size, with people from so many different backgrounds and so many different cultures, how could they be in unity together? That's the question. The answer is simple. The gospel united them. Their faith in Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross is what drew them together and united their hearts as one body, one soul, one church. The gospel unites us. And the church is most beautiful in our diversity, but also in our common love and devotion for Christ. We're beautiful in our unique creation. Our creator made us unique. Praise God that we're not all the same. He created us uniquely, but yet we have a common love and devotion for Christ as the church, and it's beautiful. We may not all prefer the same translation of the Bible. We may not all prefer the same method of education for our children. We may have different hobbies, different likes, different dislikes, different food we like to eat, different dining preferences we have, different clothing preferences as modeled by Caleb and I on the weekly. (laughs) But this is a beautiful thing, church, because the thing is, God did not create you, he did not create me, he did not create us collectively to be Christian clones but he uniquely designed and created each one of us. Amen. This is one of the amazing wonders of our creator and the power of Christ and the gospel that God honors our individuality while bringing us into unity together. That's the beautiful thing and amazing wonder of the church and a place really that that doesn't happen anywhere else other than the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, we are of one heart, one soul, one faith, one baptism, and that's all established and founded on Jesus Christ, and yet uniquely created and gifted to bring beautiful diversity to the body of Christ, to his church. A.W. Tozier, Tozier can't speak, wrote this in regard to this gospel unity. Listen to this quote. I loved it this week. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. And I thought, man, that's exactly what we are in Christ. When God pursues us, when we give our lives over to him, we individually bow to our Savior, Jesus. We make him We allow him to become Lord of our life and give our hearts over to him individually. And yet then, collectively, we have the same story woven into all of our stories. We were dead in our trespasses. God, through his redemptive work in Jesus on the cross, made us alive in him. We all have different ways that we have experienced that maybe, but that is the testimony that we all share. And so we're uniquely created. We get to that in a different way, and yet we're united in that faith. And so I thought, man, what a great example that he wrote of all those pianos being created differently and yet tuned to the same to each other because they were tuned to that fork. When there's great unity, the church is great. When there's great unity, the church is great. So the gospel unites us. Then how is that unity, how is that gospel unity experienced? And Luke will spend the remaining verses of chapter 4 in this passage, explaining to us that unity is experienced through common gospel identity, which we just talked about, but also through radical and overwhelming sharing practices or generosity. 
You see, the early church shared in life together. They shared their burdens. They shared their joys. They shared time. They shared and served one another, which Caleb hit on last week. They served the church. They served one another. And then they also shared their possessions and they shared their resources. You see, the early church was radically generous. And so I want to spend the rest of the time that we have this morning looking at five quick points we'll see in this text on radical generosity. So we'll just start. Number one, generosity is the gospel on display. Generosity is the gospel on display. In verse 33, Luke writes, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It's as simple as this. When you understand your eternal, excuse me, when you understand your eternal security through the redemptive act that Christ has done for you, and that you're simply not made for this world, but for the next, your perspective on earthly possessions change. And in turn, your giving in generosity changes and it grows. Because when I recognize that I'm not made for this place and all the stuff that I'm accumulating is only made for this world and not the next, then I am not living for this world, but I am living for the next. And my generosity changes. Being secure in the Father's love and the truth of the gospel allows me to live open-handed with all that I have. It should allow us collectively to live open-handed with all that we have because we're secure in the Father's love and the truth of the gospel and that this life is but a vapor, but we're living for something greater. One commentator I read this week said this, when God's grace is at work, people get generous. When you feel the grace of Christ in your life, when you understand the grace of Christ in your life, I'm generous with all I have because I haven't been given anything. It's all been given to me because of Jesus. And so I live up and handed because of what's his should be given back to him. Yes. James speaks to this a lot, I think, in, later in the New Testament. But it's our mission as believers to a watching and an unbelieving world to profess Christ in word and in deed. I know what you're saying quickly because this is what the enemy does he likes to likes to just hint on a little bit of a twinge and you thought wait a minute pastor i thought we were saved by grace through faith it was not of ourselves but it was the gift of god that's true it is do not mistake this word for a works-based salvation you cannot earn right standing with god you cannot work your way to the father you cannot work your way into eternity but rather because of what we know jesus has done for us because we are living sold out for him because we have complete reliance on him, would our deeds, would our gifts, would our generosity be an outpouring of what Christ has already done for us? Generosity is the gospel on display. Number two, generosity is relationally involved. Generosity is relationally involved. In verse 34, we see there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses sold in and brought the proceeds of what was sold Great grace was upon them all in verse 33. The idea is a generous person is a relationally involved person. To be generous, church, we need to know people. We need to be involved in their lives. Remember, unity in the body is experienced when we share in each other's burdens, when we share in each other's joys, when we share our possessions. There was not a needy person among them, as it said in verse 34, because they were known. 
They shared life together. They saw a need. They met a need. They knew when there was a need because they were collectively together as one body, as a church. And friends, I do think our church does a fantastic job in this point. When I meet new people in our church, when I see people at our 101 class, our Get to Know City Church class that we do periodically, when we get our 201 Covenant Partnership class, it's what drew you to City Church? What brought you here? And time and time again, this thread of hospitality, this thread of care, my neighbor that went to City Church, fill in the blank. City Church came to me in my time of need. They met this need. I saw them here. They helped here. At the schools, they were doing this. They did this on my street. And it was all hospitality and care driven. And friends, that is something that us as elders on staff, I can promise you, we are proud of. Because that's exactly what the Bible would call us to do. That's exactly what New Testament living, that's exactly what the early church did, is they cared for one another. We have a care team in our church that you probably don't really know about because they work behind the scenes, but they are prayer warriors for you. They are prayer warriors for me. They care for our church and our community in their time of need, whether there's been a lost loved one, whether there's been a new birth, whether they're down uh, and, and it's just a time in the hospital or somebody's struggling. These people not only pray, they write cards, they visit, they make meals upon meals upon meals. I mean, meal trains all out the wazoo. They are providing for folks. This is what this care team does, and they do it so well. We also have our common good fund here. This is our benevolent fund that you can give to financially, and this is a fund that not only helps the inside of this church people that are in need, but it helps our community. And we've seen folks who have not been able to meet a utility bill, and people that have needed rent assistance, people that have needed food, people that have needed just help because they're in a valley, they're in a season of their life where they need help, and your giving allows them to be secure, allows them to be helped. And I think our, fan, our church does a fantastic job because of the relational involvement among our church and our community. And so generosity is relationally involved. Number three, affluence is a blessing and an opportunity. Affluence is a blessing and an opportunity. I don't know what you're thinking because I would be thinking the same thing on this point as a guy that works at a church. Affluence, oh, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to the rich people in the room, okay? He's talking to the people that actually make some money, the wealthy folks in here. So I'll just kind of sit back and you wealthy folks, you just, you listen to this. Nope, it is for all of us. It's for all of us. Folks, we live in one of the wealthiest counties in the state. We live in the most wealthy country in the world. We are affluent. I don't care what your paycheck says at the end of the week. We are an affluent people. And the fact is, wealthy people existed in the early church as well. The Bible never says, and the first Christians were poor. There were none rich among them. No, in fact, many of them were probably affluent with great means. And we see that. This is what scripture says here. In verse 34, they sold land and even houses to meet needs. And Luke then also wrote in his gospel that he wrote just a couple of books back in chapter 12, verse 48, he said, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So he hits it again here in Acts chapter four. Your financial blessing is an opportunity to be that much more of a blessing. See your wealth, see our wealth, all of us collectively, would we see our wealth as a blessing and not even only an opportunity, but a responsibility. 
a responsibility. Look at chapter one, uh, excuse me, chapter six in First Timothy. It'll be on the screen behind me. Verses 17 through 19, it says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that what, excuse me, of that which is truly life. They may take hold of that which is truly life. God has gifted you. I don't know what level God has gifted you, but he has gifted all of us and we're accountable for what we do with the resources that he's entrusted to us. I'm not saying that scripture tells us necessarily to sell everything that we have, but we do need to take this passage from 1 Timothy to heart, not storing up for ourselves earthly treasures, earthly wealth, earthly status, but for true life, what is to come for our eternal future, because what did I just say? Life is but a vapor. Would we store up for our treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy? Affluence is a blessing and an opportunity, a responsibility. Number four, generosity is care, not communism. Generosity is care, not communism. And you're probably thinking, man, I don't know if I've ever heard the word communism in a point at church. I'm not sure. I hadn't either. I I, I really hadn't. I I didn't really want to use the word, but I had to. Uh, It's what the Lord gave me. And the reason is, is because I've heard from multiple people before when I've talked to other people about this passage or even things I've heard people kind of post or read or whatever as I was kind of doing some research this week. I've seen comments of studying these verses and people are like, man, this sounds a lot like communism here. And that is not what Luke is describing. The verses in this passage are about care. And I even think some of you in this room may have been tempted this morning to even think like, man, I'm reading that. They're talking about how they gave everything over the apostles and things were distributed among them as they had needs and they all brought kind of stuff to the center and all all this. And Man, pastor, that really sounds communistic. But it's missing the point. It's simply the church being what the church should be. A group of generous people sensitive to the needs of those around them, those that they are doing life with and meeting those needs. I put it up on the screen for you like this because it helped me too. Communism says what is yours is everyone because that's the government or that's whatever the, the, the dictator coming in and saying this is yours. I'm taking this and I'm going to distribute as needed because what's yours is everyone. But Christianity turns it on the head and it starts with me. It says what is mine is yours. You see the difference there is that I have the decision. What I've been given, what God's been entrusted to me, I will give. I will give to help the needs. I will give to further the kingdom. I will give for the glory of God. It's generosity. What mine is yours. Big difference there. And I want to pause here for a moment, even in this point, to remind us that the care for one another that Luke is writing about here is definitely speaking to material and physical care, but it's also speaking to the spiritual care that we all need. Jesus showed us Time and time and time and time again throughout his short earthly ministry of him meeting a physical need and their spiritual need. He healed the lame to walk. He also said, go and sin no more. Your sins have been forgiven. Same time, he healed their physical need. He healed them in their distress, but he also healed their spiritual need. 
we should model the same way in our lives. Caring for people's souls while also meeting those physical and material needs. And friends, this is not just the responsibilities of the pastors. This is not just the responsibility of professional Christians. But every believer, those of us that have said yes to Jesus, those of us that are eternally secure in Christ, we all have a ministry. We're all ministers of this gospel. Using the gifts God has given us financially and spiritually through the Holy Spirit, bearing one another's burdens, sympathizing with one another, celebrating with one another, praying for one another. Sounds a lot like a family. It's what we are. We're family and family cares for one another. They look out for one another. They're generous with one another. Generosity is care, not communism. My final point this morning, everyone is called to be generous. Everyone is called to be generous. In 35 through 37, it says, everything was sold and it laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're encouraged in this last part of the passage by one of the greatest encouragers of all time. Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but he was so encouraging, they changed his name to Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. Pretty cool to be known by what you are, so much that your name has changed. And by the way, Luke mentions Barnabas in the book of Acts 23 times. You think he thought highly of him? Maybe he wanted us to think the same way about him? Barnabas shows us in these last couple of verses of chapter 4 that he was willing to give anything for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom, for the building up of the church, to maintain unity, and to meet needs. He just loved Jesus more than stuff. And he trusted the apostles, verse 35. They trusted the apostles who God had appointed to lead the church to take these funds and distribute as needed. Which I thought to myself, there's probably another sermon in that part altogether, but I don't have time for it. But he trusted. He gave, he trusted, he lived the life completely open-handed. Everyone is called to give. And friends, it's not about the amount. Well, just tell me what I should be giving, Kyle. I've had even meetings with people like that. Kyle, just tell me what I should be giving. And man, I'll tell you, it would be a lot easier if I could do that. Be a lot easier on me, be a lot easier on this church. But the fact is, it's not about that. It's about the attitude. It's about the heart. It's about the soul. It's about the act of worship and giving. So often we look at worship as singing. We look at worship as coming here on Sunday morning, as crying out to the Lord, as prayer, as maybe Bible reading, our devotion to him each and every day. But I can tell you what, friends, is giving and financial stewardship is just an act of worship as all the others. Because our life is an act of worship. And so the way we prioritize what we do is our worship unto God. And so often, where we spend our money shows a lot about what we worship. The church should not, could not make it without radically generous people like Barnabas. So Barnabas being the encourager he is, is encouraging us this morning, this many years later, that every believer to be radically generous too. Because church family... We have been shown great grace through Jesus. We should show great generosity through that grace. 
And it's that grace that leads us to generosity, which I have all the points now here. Because of God's grace, we are generous. It's because it's the gospel on display. It's relationally involved. Affluence is an opportunity and a responsibility. It's care, not communism, and everyone is called to be generous. So Sam comes up and gets ready to lead us again. May we be a people who look for ways to be generous, not forced out of obligation, but because of the overflow of our hearts, because of that grace that we've experienced, because of that unity that we have in the body, because we know what Christ's done for us, we live our lives open-handedly, would we look for ways to give generously, to give sacrificially, and to give cheerfully? May we be unified in the truth of the gospel. And Christ's grace in our lives make us Barnabas-like servants and radically generous people. Let's pray. Father, we're encouraged by your word. I, we're challenged by your word for sure. Um, but, but God, would we be encouraged? Um, so often we come to passages like this and um, sometimes we can look at it with a, with a critical spirit. Um, we can allow the enemy to take somewhat of a foothold and, and, and flip the words around of either what, what you've said through scripture or even uh, flip the words that I've even been saying here on, on stage. And, and so God, I, I just pray right now that if, if there's any hint of that in this room, God, would you just remove that? Would you bind the enemy from this place so that we could only hear from you and God, would we just understand that conviction from you is a good thing. Challenge from you is a good thing. Yes, God, we are known, we are fully loved, we are free. As Pastor Sam, God, just let us, right even before the message, God, we are found free in Christ. But God, will we not just use our freedom and waste it? Would we invest in the kingdom? Would we be kingdom-minded people that understand that everything we've been given is from you and so everything that we have is due to you? Would we live our lives open-handed, looking for the needs of people around us and meeting the needs of, of this church, meeting the needs of this community, God? Would we live a life of generosity as an act of worship unto you, not out of obligation, but out of true worship unto you because of the grace that we've experienced through Jesus would we be generous people radically generous Barnabas like servants we love you we thank you for this time we thank you for your word it's in your holy name we pray amen thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa we meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh,